So we go now to Acts chapter 2 in this series on why church. Had somebody ask me that this week. Why church? Not related to the series. And more and more you hear that question as folks who have reared in the church are saying, you know, I don't need church anymore. Something like 59% of the millennial generation that was reared in church has left the church. And you wonder, okay, what are they thinking? And maybe it's because they don't understand the nature and purpose of the church. Or maybe the church has been unfaithful to the purpose for which Jesus created it and built it. I think we need some introspection and self-examination as people who love the Lord Jesus and love his church about how the church is doing and fulfilling its mission and is its language reinforcing the words of Jesus. We are in Acts chapter 2, and this is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, an ancient feast of the Israelites, and they are gathered in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? La Palabra de Dios. Todas las naciones debajo del cielo. How many of you understood what I just said? All right. Got a bunch of understood what I said. I don't understand it all, but I can read Spanish. All right. So we have this amazing thing happen on the day of Pentecost, this miracle of languages what does it mean they ask language is very significant i went into a store yesterday where i could not understand anybody none of the attendants could help me and uh, so i got along as best i could in my broken spanish but i felt a little strange but i'm going back because i love the experience and, and enjoyed the food as well. So I'm going to return. But you know the feeling 
I was with a friend of mine who was in the PhD program, and he was trying to order a, an ice cream cone out of McDonald's in Mexico City. And he said, hey, I got this. I know how to do this. And so he went and he explained what he wanted to the man. The man said, como? And he explained it again and again, and he, he was insistent about it. So the guy went and he got him an ice cream cone and a dish, and he brought it out in front of the man, and he took the ice cream cone, and he put it right over top and squished it in the dish. Somehow he had communicated that to the fellow who was serving the ice cream. I want my ice cream cone upside down in a dish. You never know. You know, you're by yourself in a place where you cannot speak the language. You don't know how to ask for help. You really don't know how to tell anybody how you can help them. It is a strange experience. Language is important. You know, language is also always evolving. There are over 600,000 words in the English language now. Some people think there may be as many as a million if you count all the technical Disciplines that have specialized words. There is a new word. It was nominated to be the best new word of the last year. The word adulting. I'm doing my taxes. Hashtag adulting. How many of you have heard this word? Oh, yeah. It's out there. It's out there. It's like role playing. Okay? I've been doing all these fun things I always do. That's who I really am. But now I'm role playing. I'm, an, I'm being an adult. So I'm taking out the trash, adulting, or mopping the floors, or whatever it might be. A new way of looking at being an adult, by the way. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? So the language continues to evolve. And this miracle of language is essential to, embedded in, the giving of the Holy Spirit. So interesting. Jesus calls them all together in the upper room. They are there because they're being obedient. They're following his instructions. He told them, wait in Jerusalem until the Father sends the Spirit he has promised. And so they are waiting in Jerusalem, in the upper room. I've been to a place they said was the upper room. I don't know if it was, but it's right there in the old city of Jerusalem. A two-story house in a big upper area. Maybe you've been there too. They gather there because the Spirit calls them to do it. Somebody said, well, why have a church? What's the church about after all? Well, the church exists because we are called together, because God has called us together. If God has not called us together, then there really isn't any reason for the church. The church exists because Jesus said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. We're going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be empowered to witness in the church's birth in that context. The word itself, ekklesia in the Greek, is a compound, a little preposition. Ek means out, and klesia is from the verb to call. So we learned as children even that the church is the called out assembly dad would say the called out assembly called out of the community called out of ordinary life called out of other associations and called into Christ and into his mission and his purpose in the world the called out ones we are called out and in this 
calling out, God brings us together. They are all together in one place because they've been called out. And it's an amazing kind of unity they experience in the upper room. They are there as very diverse people. They are breaking bread together, sharing the meals. They are continually in prayer. I think about the diversity of this group in the upper room. 120 people. You know Simon the Zealot is there, right? I mean, he's way over here on the far right politically. He wants to kill the Romans and overthrow the government. He is a zealot. That's what they do. They're, they're wanting to throw off the Roman yoke. And then you got Matthew way over here. What's he do? Well, he decided to get in cooperation with the Romans and help collect taxes because it could make him rich. So he's over here on this side. Matthew over here and, and Simon way over here. And I suppose every where on the spectrum in between these 120 people. They are not, in other words, all Republicans. They are not all Democrats. They are a widely diverse group of people in the upper room. From the very beginning, that's the nature of the church. How can these people get together? How can Simon and Matthew sit down together at the table of the Lord? How can they do that? having such diverse views on how they ought to treat the government? And the answer is, they are anchored in Jesus as Savior. That is their identity. They have identified themselves with Jesus, and this identity and this loyalty surpasses everything else in their life. If you don't hear me say anything, make sure you hear this. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord. You say, Jesus is Lord. What's that mean? That means he is boss of my life. He is in charge, and he is the one to whom ultimately I answer. Every other loyalty comes under this loyalty and this allegiance, the lordship of Jesus Christ. He reigns over all. That's how Simon and Matthew sit down together at the table in the upper room. I don't know who else is in that 120. I suspect, though, that since Mary and Martha don't live very far from Jerusalem, just in Bethany, a couple miles, I'll bet you they're in the upper room. I mean, I would expect. Talk about two different people, even though they're sisters. I think if Martha's in the upper room, she's organizing meals. She's barking orders. She's planning the menus. She's getting everything laid out. I mean, that's what she does. What's her sister doing? You think she's helping? I don't know. If there's a prayer meeting going on, I expect Mary's over there in the corner praying, don't you? So you got Mary and you got Martha, and they're in the upper room together, and they're sitting at the mealtime. They're breaking bread together. They are in one place, in one accord, all these very different people. And God pulls this off and creates this unity out of very different people through allegiance to Jesus, who himself is our peace and brings down the barriers between people. So the miracle of the giving of the Holy Spirit is that in this upper room with this great diversity of people, God pours out his spirit and births his church. Why church? Because we are called together by God himself. 
Why, church? Because we experience God together. There's an experience of being together that is different than you sitting by yourself in a pasture praying to God. I mean, that's wonderful, and I love it. And I do it all the time. I love being alone with God. It's great. And I have people sometimes tell me, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God when I'm in that fishing boat. They say, hey, I worship God when I'm in the fishing boat, especially if we pull up some, some oysters, you know. I mean, say grace over those oysters and eat them right there. It's one of my favorite memories of fishing. I understand that. I understand you can worship God when you're by yourself. But these 120 folks get together. They are all in one place. They are in one accord. There's a sense of unity as they pray, as they seek the face of God. There's a sense of being connected to one another that transcends anything they've ever had. You know, you talk about a band of brothers. These people are banding together. God is creating these bonds that are powerful and strong, stronger than any other affiliation in their life. And God does something among them as they meet together that transcends even the individual experience of his presence. It's different. It's another dimension of experiencing God's presence. It's why Jesus said, if two or three of you are gathered together in my name, what? There am I in the midst of them. There's something about two or three, you see, that's different than one. There's something about being together in one place, in one accord, with the family of faith, that's different than being solitary. Maybe it's just because we need one another, but I think it's more than that. I think it's because God intends for his people to be a family, to be connected, loyal to one another, encouraging each other, and together do the work that he's called us to do in the world. Scripture says here that there was a violent wind, and the sound of it filled that room. In fact, the sound was so fierce that people outside heard the sound. That's what called the great crowd together. Jesus said, the Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. That's just how the Spirit is. You may not be able to tell how it comes or how it goes, but you can tell that He is present. These tongues of fire sat on each one, as I understand it, the 120 in that room, 120 flames over the heads of these folks. What does that mean? It reminds me of that tower of fire that stood over the tabernacle in the wilderness of that flame that perpetually burned in the holy place in the temple. Of the baptism that John the Baptist said was coming when he said, I baptize with water, but somebody's going to come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This was the common experience of the 120 in the upper room as the Holy Spirit was poured out in a way that hadn't happened before. In the midst of this, they experienced the miracle of languages. They began to speak the wonders of God in all these different languages. And I don't know whether the list is exhaustive or not. I expect it probably isn't. It says there are people there from every nation under heaven, which means they're just from all over the place. They came from everywhere. They're not just 
cultural Jews. Some of them are converts to Judaism. They are proselytes who have been baptized in, into Judaism. They become Jews by choice. So there may be different colors as well as different languages, certainly different cultural backgrounds. All these different people are hearing on the outside this violent wind and they come together and now they hear the word of God in their own heart language. God speaks your language. God speaks your language. He speaks your heart language. He speaks your native tongue. It is a miracle of languages because God intends to communicate that the power of the Holy Spirit is a power that communicates across barriers of culture and race and language so that every nation, tribe, and tongue may be enfolded into the fellowship of his church. Think about it. Here the church is being birthed in Jerusalem. How is it being birthed? With all of these different languages being spoken, that's how it's being birthed. In a cacophony of sounds. Have you ever been walking through a place where everybody was speaking a language you did not know and suddenly you heard your language? Has that ever happened to you? If it happens to you and you suddenly hear somebody speaking English, your language, you will immediately turn and see what's going on. And that's what happened in Jerusalem this day. There were all these people speaking, but suddenly... That Cappadocian, he heard his language being speak. That Arab, he heard his language, and he turned, he said, what is this? That fellow's from Galilee. Aren't these all Galileans, they said? Look at these Galileans. They've got that country twang. They can't even speak Aramaic right, you know? And now they're talking in all these languages. What does this mean? It means that God cares for every single person on earth regardless of the language they speak. That he loves those pe people in Somalia and Ethiopia and in Papua New Guinea and in Venezuela, those poor people who are seeing their country just come apart. It breaks my heart. And God knows them and he loves them and he speaks their language. Think about God doing this work creating this moment in human history, birthing his church and intentionally pouring out a flood of languages over that city of Jerusalem. And God intends for his church to catch this vision of language so that we care enough about people that we learn their heart language. I'll bet you've learned the heart language of your spouse. Some of you have read the five love languages. That somebody said there are five love languages. Well, God knows all the love languages, okay? You've learned that on her anniversary or on her birthday, you have got to acknowledge that. Even though it doesn't matter much to you if somebody remembers your anniversary or your birthday, maybe it matters a little, but not like it does to her. So because you love her, you put it down on your calendar, you enter it in your phone, and you remember those important dates because they're important to her. That's you speaking her love language. 
And that's why she takes care of you in all the ways that mean something important to you. You want your socks in the drawer, you know, when you get up in the morning. And she takes care of that. Or she makes sure that things are done that you don't do. And, and when they're done, you think, you know, I really love that woman because <laughs> she's taking care of me. You speak the heart language of that person, the love language of that person. Well, God speaks your love language. And what you need to do, look, this is simple, okay? You look and you listen for how God is loving you. Just look and listen. How is God loving you in all the ways that communicate best and most to you? And if you look and listen, you will see and hear the love of God expressed toward you. I feel the love of God poured out upon me as I look in the sky and see the stars and the constellations, as I watch the birds, the butterflies, and the flowers bloom in the spring. God speaks to my heart. And I love all that God does around me. I guess it's the language that I understand. And you have a language too, and God speaks that language. Some of you think, well, God doesn't speak my language. I'm a scientist. Hmm. God knows science. God speaks science. God speaks technology. God speaks history. God speaks literature. There's not a single solitary language in all the world that God does not know better than any human being, and he is more fluent in it. And he can communicate to these people that he loves in all these different disciplines of life, in all these places where we work, in all these technical languages. People start looking in the little microscopes and at little life forms as biologists, and they begin to hear the message of God's presence, his power, his wonder, and his love. And you can hear the story of all these folks who, in these different technical areas, have discovered the presence of God. God speaks your language, whatever it is, and God is helping you to learn how to communicate, uh, communicate across the barriers and across the borders. That's what God's up to in his church, all right? I want you to go everywhere, man, to the ends of the earth. Every nation under heaven, everybody needs to know, so let's get ready and go. And if you're not going, you can pray, and you can help send. You can commission these missionaries. You can be part of it. But what you're doing when you send out that missionary is he goes to that place in the far point of the earth where you've never been, and the first thing he does, she does, they learn the language because they want to be able to speak in the heart language, in the native tongue of the people they're seeking to reach. God sends us out so that we will communicate his love to all these different places and pockets of people. See, from the very first, why church? Because church unites the entire planet in the faith in in God who has loved us and sent his son to save us. And we have a message of hope that every single person needs to hear. So we learn the language. Someone mentioned Carla Tucker to me 
before the church service, and I thought about Carla Faye Tucker, whom I baptized and discipled while she was on death row in Texas. The last time I saw her on death row, she and the ladies stood up and did a song for me in sign language. They started the tape and they did a song in sign language. I thought, why are you doing sign language? And they said, well, Betty Beats, who has since been executed herself, Betty Beats is going deaf and she can't hear hardly anything. So Carla learned sign language and then taught it to every woman on death row. And I thought, yeah, that's the transforming power of Jesus Christ in the life of Carla Faye Tucker, executed in 1997. She learned how to love like God loved her. Not just a preacher's story, but every single guard who ever walked down that pipe chase and looked over death row came out of there to say, that woman is amazing. And she was. She wasn't amazing when she committed two brutal murders as a heroin addict and a prostitute. She wasn't amazing when she first walked into that courthouse the assistant DA who prosecuted her said her eyes were so cold I knew she could kill me it's just like she killed those two people. It was in the Houston County, in Harris County Jail, where she met a chaplain named Rebecca and trusted in Christ as Savior and learned that God loved her. Somehow she heard it in her heart language and it transformed her life. That's what Jesus does. That's what God is doing through his church. Why church? Because God has decided in his wisdom and providential care that the church would be his voice in the world. And he sent out his people to communicate to all who would hear the wonder of his grace. Bow with me, please. If you've never trusted in Jesus as Savior, this would be a great moment to bow your head and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Would you make that prayer unto God? Maybe God's doing something different in your life. You've already trusted him, but he's calling you to a new walk, to a new commitment. Maybe he's waking you up to the importance of fellow believers in this walk that you're seeking to accomplish through him. And he's saying to you, I want you to connect to a church. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, talk to us. Speak to us. We're listening. We know you speak our language. We really want to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.